and you've got to be competitive. But I think down deep inside to be really successful is you've got to really care about people as humans. That's David Craig, renowned trucking attorney and managing partner of Craig Kelly and Faultless. Then I don't care how smart you are, how knowledgeable the rules you are, if you never walk into a courtroom, nobody's going to respect you. Nobody's going to pay your client what they deserve. So the first thing is you've got to be a good trial lawyer and people got to know you're a good trial lawyer. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with David Craig to discuss why sharing your knowledge with others not only builds trust, but it also creates demand, how to transform setbacks into opportunities for growth, and what it takes to become one of the nation's most successful trucking firms. I felt like to become a successful truck lawyer, I had to first be a good trial lawyer. I had to know how to try cases and win cases. And you weren't gonna learn that by just trying a bunch of truck because you don't get to try as many. So I had to get in the courtroom. You can go to all the seminars you wanna go to. You can read all the books you wanna read, but unless you're walking in and out of a courtroom, you're not learning enough. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, I want to remind you that we aren't beholden to any sponsors or run any ads on this podcast. This allows us to present all of our episodes raw and unfiltered. I'm not going to push any made-to-order meal services on you or try to save you any money on your car insurance. That being said, I have one small request. If you receive any value from this podcast, please give it a five-star review. Pay the fee so we can keep this podcast free. David Craig is one of the most elite trucking attorneys in the nation. In addition to serving as the managing partner of Craig Kelly and Faultless, he's also the best-selling author of Semi-Truck Wreck and the host of the After the Crash podcast. However, David's journey to becoming a trucking expert was certainly no overnight success. It was interesting. My mom got pregnant with me when she was 17 years old. My dad was in his 20s. So you can imagine that my mom's family wasn't thrilled. And so my mom dropped out of high school to have me. They had nothing. My dad had been in the Marines. He came out, took a full-time job working for the welfare department. We lived in a little rented house. My mom worked at the laundromat. My dad worked for the welfare department. And we had very little. We were very humble. My great-grandma on my dad's side of the family had a small grocery store. And it was in the poorest area of Richmond, Indiana. And it was a minority neighborhood. And I just remember going in there thinking, this is the greatest place ever. My great-grandma worked there. My grandfather worked there. I had relatives that would come in and out. I got to work behind the candy, you know, the candy display. I would get to help give candy. If I was good, they would give me a little Debbie's oatmeal patty and a pop. And thinking back on it, I didn't realize it, but she was an entrepreneur. I mean, she was a person who had her own business, who set her own hours. She worked hard. She lived in a little apartment above the grocery store. They didn't have money. But the thing that I remember was how the customers treated her. She sold groceries to people who didn't have money. So she had these little cards that I can remember them. They would buy the groceries on credit. She didn't charge interest. She would just sell them. If they didn't have the money to pay that week, she would sell it to them on credit. 
And even my mom and dad would buy groceries from time to time on credit. And I just remember people loved my great-grandma. They would come in and just always be so happy to see her. And she made a difference in that little community. She never prospered. She never built chains. She never built, you know, but she was important. She made a difference. And that resonated with me as a child. My dad worked for the welfare department. And again, he was helping people. I can remember one day he took me. There was a guy who needed help and refused help. And he lived under a bridge. He was homeless, lived under a bridge. And my dad took me as a little kid, first grader, and took me with him under the bridge to meet this man because this man would only talk to my dad. And I remember my mom was kind of scared, but my, I remember him going, taking me down there and just my dad talking to this guy as a normal human being and just talking to him. And when the, the guys agreed to go up and get help. And before he left, though, he gave me a baseball. And here's a man that has nothing who reached into a bag and gave me something. And I just remember growing up thinking there was no difference. I mean, how my folks and my family judged people was by their character, not their resources, not whether they had money or they didn't have money. And so I think that was extraordinarily important to who I am today because I never knew there was anything else. You treated everybody with respect. You treated everybody as a human. There was not one person better than another person. And that was something that was ingrained in my mind. And in addition, my dad kind of had a chip on his shoulder because my mom's side of the family looked at him like, well, you got my daughter pregnant and, and you're worthless. You, he came from a poor family. They didn't have inside plumbing. And so they looked at him and my dad worked hard his entire life to get us out of poverty and get us into a position. Uh, while I was a little kid, he went to Earlham and got his undergraduate's degree. He got his master's degree. He got his doctorate's degree. And he did raise us out of that. And I saw hard work. The lesson was like, success is your responsibility, not others, not someone else's. Don't look for handouts, earn it. And so I think my upbringing, I think a lot of my upbringing and who I am today is a large part based upon the people that I grew up with. And, and you mentioned that your dad had a chip on his shoulder. It seems like that chip has kind of been extended to you on the way to becoming a lawyer. From what I recall, you were interested in going to law school, but those around you, I think especially like your counselor at the time, didn't even think you were going to go to college. I was always a, a kid that teachers liked. They liked me as a human being, but never really thought I had a whole bunch of potential. I mean, in second grade, I got held back. Who gets held back in second grade? Could I not color right? Could I not cut and paste? I look at my mom and said, how did I get held back in second grade? And that humbles you. They put me in third grade. We moved from Richmond to Plainfield, Indiana. And they put me in third grade. And then they decided about a month in that maybe I had to go back to second grade. So they moved me across the hall to where second graders. Now, all the kids in third grade I had been in class with, they're all pointing at me saying, that's that dumb kid that, well, it used to be in our classes. You know, if you would have said in second grade, who's going to be a lawyer in this classroom? <laughs> I'm pretty sure David Craig wasn't one of them. But the teachers loved me. The teachers still liked me because I was taught to be a respectful human being. I cared about people. I liked everybody. And so then that kind of went through school. You know, I always got along well with people. I, luckily, I could play football, which helped. And I had a good time in high school, probably a little too good of a time. And when I get ready, I remember one of my friends was going down to the counselor and they were like, hey, let's go down and talk to the guidance counselor. And one of my friends said, I want to go to law school. I said, well, I think that's, I would like to go to law school. I'd like to help people. 
And so we went down there and in front of my friends, my guidance counselor said, no, Dave, you need to do something, maybe vocational school or you ought to do something different, but law school certainly isn't for you. And I remember my friends kind of laughed. And so that was, again, something that kind of motivates you to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to succeed. And it really doesn't matter what these other people think about me or my chances. I'm going to prove. Um, now, it helped that I decided to move away from all my friends <laughs> and go to a college. We didn't have money, so I went to the IUPUI, which was a school that I could drive back and forth. And so I, I kind of isolated and changed my, who do I want to be? And then matured. And luckily, my wife was my girlfriend at the time, and so she helped me mature. But yeah, no, I, I definitely had people who would have bet a lot of money that I wouldn't be an attorney today. So when you get to law school, did you feel that, okay, I'm in the right place, I'm on the right path? Or like, I guess, what was your experience then? In undergraduate, I focused and did really well. My wife now was my girlfriend. She came a year, she was a year behind me in school. She came to the same school, helped me focus, helped me study. I got good grades. And so you know, I kind of got a little bit cocky in that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. High school, I got C's and D's. College, I'm getting A's. And then went to law school, and then there was all these smart people around me. And the first semester, man, I tried so hard to get top grades, and I got one A. And so then I realized, you know what? I'm not going to be top of my class no matter how hard I try. And I think that's one of the keys to success is realizing your strengths and your weaknesses and not kidding yourself. And so I immediately started thinking, I've always had a good mind for strategies, like, okay, if I'm not going to be top of the class, then how do I be a very successful attorney? And so I immediately, after that first semester, started looking for a job. I started finding out who's the best trial lawyer out there. And I went and clerked for him. I said, I don't really care how much you, what you pay me, but I want the experience of you. And he was a great trial lawyer. And so I went to work for a great trial lawyer. I thought maybe at the time I wanted to be a criminal defense lawyer. I wasn't sure. And so I went to work for one of the best lawyers. So I knew law school. And then the great thing about it was I also knew that I wouldn't flunk out. I mean, I was smart enough that no matter how little effort I gave, I was going to get, I was going to graduate. I wasn't going to be top of the class, but I wasn't going to flunk out of the school. And so then I decided to put all my efforts to, let's go get some practical experience. Let's start working for some lawyers. Then I worked for another law firm that did general civil litigation. And so I started learning a lot from other people, successful lawyers. Once you graduated from law school and you worked in these firms, what was the catalyst, if you will, of making that change and, and really deciding to kind of pursue a different path and almost switching sides, if you will? A success is a dangerous thing. You start having a lot more temptation. You start thinking of yourself differently. You start thinking, well, maybe I'm <laughs> the reason I'm successful is because I'm, it's all me. And so I started becoming very successful as a trial lawyer. I started working a lot and focusing on and winning and the better I got, the more the bad guys needed me. The corporations needed me. Insurance companies offered me jobs. Started getting a lot more offers. I had a client, a big corporate client that had paid me millions of dollars, asked me to come down for lunch with him. I sat down to lunch with him, and he slid pictures across the table of autopsy pictures of his wife. And I didn't know his wife had passed away. I didn't know her. And he's like, I think I'm going to be accused of murder and embezzlement, and I've got these life insurance policies. And He's like, I'm willing to pay you a lot of money to put a team together to represent me. And that made the newspapers. And I remember saying I, I had no comment. And my son, Alex, who's an attorney in my office now, was old enough to understand. And so I went home and I was reading the newspaper to my wife. 
saying, look, my case hit the newspaper. And I said, no comment. And my son said, well, whose side are you on? And I was like, what, you know? And I had lost focus of, am I helping people? Am I making a difference in people's lives? To, it was becoming about me. It was becoming about how successful can I become? And do I want to see my name in the papers? And do I want to go to all the clubs and be invited to all this and being wined and dined and all those things? And I think that was an aha moment for me. It was like, you know, that's not what it's about. And then the other thing, about the same time I was asked to speak at a family member's funeral, my uncle on my mom's side, the only person on my mom's side really who was close and who, who cared about my mom and, and didn't judge her because she got pregnant with me, he used to take care of us, and he, he taught me to throw a baseball, took me fishing. He just loved us unconditionally. I'd spend weeks with him in the summer. And so I'm at this funeral. He walks up to me, and my mom's telling him how successful I am, <laughs> like moms do. And she's like, you know, Dave is just, and Dave's got this result, and he got this result. And I remember my uncle sat there politely and listened. And then he said, Dave, when was the last time you went fishing? And I said, you know what? God, I can't even think about it. I don't even know. And he goes, that's too bad. And so it kind of a combination of things, kind of like, wait, I need to switch gears. I need to do something that I can be proud of, that my family can be proud of, that my, my employees can be proud of. Not to knock the other lawyers who are doing other areas. I respect them. And I have the utmost respect for criminal defense lawyers and corporate lawyers and all that. But for me personally, from the way I grew up, I needed to do something different. And so I made a switch and thank God I did because I'm very, very, very happy doing what I do. I wanna talk about really two aspects of that. One is the decision to start your own firm, right? Craig Kelly and Faultless. So this was, at this point now, it's over 20 years ago. Talk me through that decision and what that experience was early on. Cause that, I mean, obviously that requires a great degree of courage when you, you know, when you bet on yourself. And then from there also kind of the, the pivot towards trucking. I remember going to my wife saying, hey, look, I'm gonna start this firm. She's always been a believer in me and supported me. And, and like I said, I've known her since she was 15 and I was 16. So she knew me when I had nothing. I had no potentials. Nobody else thought I had any potential. She was like, hey, you do what you got to do. We'll get by. And I never really thought of it much. I never really thought about what happens if I don't succeed. That thought never entered my mind. I'm sure it entered my wife's mind. <laughs> but that thought, I can honestly say, it never entered my mind. I had no clients. I went to two of the lawyers that I practiced with, Scott Follis, who was a law clerk of mine at another firm. He had followed me there, and I said, look, I'm going to go on my own. And the reason was I would have stayed with the attorney that I would have, was with, but he wanted to cut people out. You know, he wanted to say, well, you can, I'll, may, I'll pay you more money, but somebody else has to make less money or has to be fired. And that wasn't my style. I'm like, no, that's not the way I work. I want to succeed, but I don't want to hurt others. And so that's what really caused me to decide to open my own firm. I asked two of the attorneys that I was with, there with if they wanted to go with me. And I told them, I said, you got to plan on us not getting paid for a year. And I'm serious. I mean, they can shut my power off. And there had been times in my career where they had done that. That just doesn't phase me. <laughs> it's just, that's just part of the price of success is all this stuff. And I hate to see other people get hurt. And I hate to see people sad. And maybe that's because of the, of the way I grew up. You know, we didn't have anything and it didn't matter. I was never unhappy because I didn't have stuff. You know, I was always happy. We played games, we loved each other. We had family get-togethers. I mean, it didn't matter that we didn't have money. And so money was never that important to me. So it was a lot easier to start a firm when money's not that important. I think it's harder once you have money, it gets a little bit harder to roll the dice when you have more to lose. And I think that was part of the 
transition to trucking was like, well, guys, we've got a successful practice. We're doing really well. Why do we want to do this? And I think certainly people that practice with me looked at it and had concerns about that. But thank goodness they all had enough faith in me that they really never questioned it hard. They said, Dave, if that's where you want to go, then that's where we go. I imagine for people listening to this podcast, who does not want a big truck case? But I think when you're deciding to go all in on this, what that really means is saying no to most, if not all, other types of cases. So was that at the time, were you at all apprehensive about that and saying, we're gonna go all in on trucking? To be good at trucking, you have to put in time. And so it's not something you just click the switch and say, okay, I'm now good at trucking. I was very fortunate early in my career, I had a truck case. I was scared because I was young. So I had learned a lot about trucking on my own. And then over the years, I sporadically had cases and I always enjoyed them. They were more challenging. You had better defense lawyers against you. You had a lot more money against you. And so I really enjoyed the challenge. I liked the competition and the folks really needed you. The clients, it was a devastating event in their lives and you could really make a difference in these people's lives. And so you invest the time, the energy and the effort to learn, gain the knowledge, to get the experience, and then you have to have the resources to invest in these cases. And so that took time. It wasn't like an overnight success. It wasn't like an overnight thing that, that happened. As we've gotten more successful, my time has spent more on truck cases than any other kind of cases. My firm still handles some other cases. And the reason is that I felt like to become a successful truck lawyer, I had to first be a good trial lawyer. I had to know how to try cases and win cases. And you weren't gonna learn that by just trying a bunch of truck because you don't get to try as many. So I had to get in the courtroom. You can go to all the seminars you wanna go to. You can read all the books you wanna read, but unless you're walking in and out of a courtroom, you're not learning enough. And so I have a daughter who's a lawyer in my office, a son who's a lawyer in my office. I brought a lot of law clerks up as attorneys in my office. And it's important for me that if they're gonna be truck wreck lawyers, they first have to become trial lawyers. And so we take other cases so that they can become trial lawyers because I don't wanna to get to the point where I've got people in my office that aren't trying cases or who have never tried a lot of cases successfully. And so once I became a trial lawyer, then it wasn't that hard to make that transition for myself to learn how, you know, just learn trucking. To your experience, what do you believe makes a great trucking lawyer? You have to have passion. I think, first of all, you have to be a good trial lawyer. You have, I think you have to be a great trial lawyer. I mean, if you can't win a trial, then I don't care how smart you are, how knowledgeable the rules you are, if you never walk into a courtroom, nobody's gonna respect you, nobody's gonna pay your client what they deserve. So the first thing is you have gotta be a good trial lawyer and people gotta know you're a good trial lawyer. The other side does. The second thing is you have to invest the time and energy in the learn the law. A truck wreck is so much different than a car wreck. So you've got to invest the time in learning it. The great thing about it is today, there's so many great trial lawyers out there that you can learn from. There's great organizations like ATAA, Joe Freed and Michael Leiserman started. I mean, there's so many groups and there's so many places to learn. And as long as you're humble enough to say, okay, I need to learn, I don't know everything, then there are books, there are seminars. When I first started, there weren't those type of resources. Now there are, I send my young lawyers out to all those to learn from the other ones. I'm board certified, so is my partner Scott Follows. But that's just recognition of the amount of knowledge and experience that we have. So it's the knowledge, the acquisition, the knowledge, the experience, trial lawyer. But I think down deep inside to be really successful is you've got to really care about people as, as humans. 
And after all these years and all the experience that you've gained, you took the time recently to publish a book, like quite literally named Semi-Truck Wreck. I guess if you could talk to me about just that decision and you know, just to share all this information, who the book is for, you know, why you did it. So I give you credit and Chris because I had for years wanted to write a book and I had never done it. I always thought I was too busy until I became a Chris X member and uh, had the benefit of, of talking to you and seeing how you wrote your book. And so I looked at it and said, well, guys, I, if everybody, if he has time, certainly I should have time. And so I then started working on a book and, and I wanted to do it differently because I love people. Again, my family were farmers and were factory workers and construction workers and record drivers and, and grocery store owners. And, and so they weren't college educated people. I love signing up clients to this day. I love meeting and sitting down with people. And so I wanted to write a book to them, not to lawyers, but to the average everyday person, even if they weren't gonna hire me, I wanted to give them a book that empowered them, that gave them some information that they otherwise wouldn't have and share my knowledge with them this approach towards just sharing information and educating people, I mean, this is something that I think is very much something that you are quite passionate about because you know, not just the book, but it extends to a podcast as well. And, and of course, when you speak and when you present, why is this so important to you? I think there's different ways to do it. A lot of lawyers go around and talk to other lawyers and they educate lawyers and that's what they're passionate about. And that's great. And I do that. I speak at conf national conferences to other lawyers. But I really enjoy speaking to people. I just, I went to St. Louis and spoke for two days to hundreds of people of just average everyday people. And my topic was how do you share the roads safely? How do you avoid being in one of these wrecks? And I love that. I mean, I love just talking to the people, having people come up and chat with me. The odds of the, that one of those 100 to 200 people are gonna be in a wreck is slim to none. The reward for me in that sense is slim to none. But the reward for me to be able to touch people, to make a difference in their lives and educate them is powerful to me. I love that. And so that's why we started the podcast. The podcast is never gonna be a top podcast. I think we were ranked number seven in the litigation world, personal injury world. But it is important that if somebody needs to know detailed information on a specific topic that has to do with a catastrophic wreck or wrongful death or a semi-wreck or a big commercial vehicle wreck, they can go there and they can get information. And they can get that before they even hire a lawyer. So they know what questions to ask a lawyer. They have somebody independent who's not charging them and they can listen at their own home and they're on their own computer and learn. And I believe the information is power. And my goal is to spread that much power to the average everyday person that I can. Now, we've spoken about obviously being a great trial lawyer, but you're also running a business. And I'm curious, just obviously having sat in both seats, what has been kind of your experience with both? What have been the biggest differences you've seen between them? Like what types of skill sets and capabilities do you find valuable to perhaps one space versus you know another space? Because you've been doing both for so many years. Yeah, I think that there are certain characteristics that make you good at being an entrepreneur. The same things that help me I'm willing to walk into a courtroom and roll the dice and not worry about it. I had a quarter of a million dollars in a truck case. It didn't bother me. I could have lost the $250,000. It just wouldn't have phased me. It would have phased me to not fight. I wouldn't have been able to sleep at night if I didn't go into the courtroom, but it wouldn't have bothered me to lose the money. I would prefer not to. I have to fight. I'd rather lose in a courtroom than a conference room. 
So that skill set makes me brave in the sense I'm willing to roll the dice. I'm willing to build a practice. I'm willing to build a business. I have a lot of people that make me a successful trial lawyer. I have my partner, Scott Follows, who's a lot smarter than I ever hoped to be, who knows the law, who can write the briefs, who can do so many things in a supportive role. In business, I get excited. I love business, but I'm not a good implementer. And again, I'll give credit to Chris X in that one of the challenges for me was that, first of all, I thought everybody was like me. I thought everybody wanted to succeed at all costs <laughs> and that you were willing to do this. And I found out that not everybody does. I don't need to be appreciated. I don't need to be patted on the back. I don't need people to tell me how good I am. I could care less. I'm used to people telling me I'm not good. <laughs> and that probably is a better thing for me. But other people need to be patted on the back and need to be shown appreciation. And so the challenge for me in business was that I was making a difference in the lives of my clients. I was making the difference in the lives of my employees and to the extent that they like working for me, they've been with me. I've got people been with me for 20 some years. But the reality was I wasn't making as big a difference as I could have been because I didn't understand certain things. And so I now take a lot more time to understand what motivates people. We do testing that we've learned through you guys. And so I now know well, what motivates somebody is different than what motivates me. And so we look at it and we put people in charge. We put KPIs in. I have a business degree in undergrad. I certainly knew that. My thought was just hire people. Hell, they'll do their job. I, you know, I don't need people to micromanage me or tell me what to do. I'll just hire really good people. They'll do their job. And I was wrong about that. You know, I think what you have to do is you have to have systems in place because even good, hardworking people don't always work on the right things. And so I think building a business is exciting and I'm great at that, at getting people excited, getting people motivated. I'm not good at the day-to-day -day operations. And I think recognizing that has helped us in the last few years really grow as a business, which is what you wanna do. And you wanna grow so that you can touch more people. If I wanna do more community events, if I wanna give away things, if I wanna go out and speak to people who may never hire me, I've gotta have the ability of financial resources to do that. And now we do. Today, David aims to educate, empower, and make a positive impact in the lives of as many people as possible. I asked him to take us back to 2017 and elaborate on the series of events that transformed not only his life, but also his firm, and shaped the legacy he intends to leave behind. You know, it was the September 11th. I was out doing a truck inspection. I had been in pain for days, and well, actually weeks. Pain had got so bad that I could barely stand up. My wife kept saying, you need to go to the hospital. I wouldn't go. It was a Saturday truck inspection. I'm going out to do it. My wife says, no, you need to go to the hospital. I said, no, I'm going to do it. She's like, well, then I'm going with you because I'm afraid you can't even drive. So she went with me, sat in my truck. I went and did the inspection. When we got done, she's like, would you mind just going in and get, I bet you just need an IV. So she tricked me. She's like, I think, okay, well, maybe I just need an IV. I'll be good to go. I went in, turns out that I had stage three colon cancer. They had to do emergency surgery on me. I had a lot of complications. I was in the hospital for three and a half weeks with a pipe down my throat for part of that time. And at that point, they couldn't tell me whether I was going to live or die. And, you know, you reflect on something like that. And the crazy thing was, and this is the honest God truth, I wasn't worried about me. I mean, I've really enjoyed my life. I've enjoyed every aspect of it. I'm happily married. I'm married to the lady that I met when she was 15. We've been married all these years. I got three wonderful kids. 
but where I was at, I would certainly miss my kids and I would feel badly for what how that would affect them. But we weren't where I needed to be. And I guess there's different ways to look at it. I looked at it and said, I'm going to step things up. I'm going to make my firm grow. I'm going to make sure my firm survives without me because my fear was my firm would not survive without me. It would break up. It would go to, out of business. And you're like, my gosh, you work so hard to get to a certain point in your life. And then all of a sudden you lose all of that. It just disappears. And so I stopped and I honestly was running meetings out of the hospital. So I had a room next to my room. I would go out with IVs and my CFOs would come in. Meet. I started turning the page while I was in the hospital saying, here's the plans I'm going to make to grow this business and move forward. And before I ever even got out of there, before I even knew whether I was going to survive or not survive. And then I went through two more surgeries. And the bad thing about the, our business is the word started leaking that I was sick. And so defense lawyers were saying, well, Dave won't show up. Dave's dying. I remember going into a huge mediation and, you know, I went in, I could barely talk because of the thing that had been down my throat. I was really weak. I sat with my client and the defense lawyer, and we had mediated, this is a second mediation. And the defense lawyer came out and asked the mediator, said, I want to see David. And then the mediator's like, why would you want to see David? He said, I just want to see him. And so I walked out and he goes, you're not looking so good. And I said, you know, I said, but if you know me well enough to know that my ideal way of dying is in a courtroom after the jury goes back and takes the verdict. <laughs> I go, so I'm going to show up and I will be there and I will, unless I don't make it. And then they settle with us, thank goodness. But I had a trial and I tried it. I went into a trial case. I could barely walk and could barely talk. Tried another one where I got over like a $1.7 million verdict on a case that was a really small case and that they offered a 30000 on. But, you know, you, you do those things because you love it. And, but that did change the way I looked at life. Um, I looked at it and said, okay, you don't know what tomorrow brings. And I accelerated. It wasn't long after that that I was at a conference down in Miami where I decided to hook up with Crisp and start doing business with Crisp. But we looked at it and said, we need to grow our business so that this business survives. And we've now started selling shares out to my younger attorneys so that they will be invested in and grow. I started immediately sent all my lawyers out to the best trial schools. And so, yeah, we've accelerated our growth. And it probably, so it was really a blessing. It's a blessing in a couple of ways. One is that, again, I look at it and say, you know, I now know how my clients feel. Clients that are sitting in the hospital not, not sure whether they're gonna live or die. I know what they're going through. I can relate better to them. I can probably communicate that better to a jury, having lived it. So I think I'm very grateful that I got to have that experience. In addition, it helped me look differently at our business. David, it, it, and by the way, what I'm about to say, I say this as a compliment, and I say this all respectfully, but in the years that I've known you, I have seen you as an obsessed individual, like meaning that you're not kind of dipping your toe into anything. I mean, it, everything from being obsessed with preparing for trial in the best way possible, you're an avid reader, you're an avid learner, all these different things. I'm just curious over the years, like what's that been like for the people around you, right? So whether it's your family, your team members, have they always been very supportive of that or have there been any challenges? Luckily, again, there was an advantage to my wife knowing me young because I've always been that way. I've always been aggressive at learning, knowing. I've always been very motivated. And so she knew what she was getting into. But I do think that it can be challenging. It can be challenging for your employees. It can be challenging for your family. I take a lot of pride in that throughout my, my career, 
to be successful, you have to be successful in business, but some people just want to be successful in business and not in life. And so to me, success means that I have a successful family, a successful you know, relationship with my friends, successful business. And so I've always tried to take the time. If I had a trial, then they know that my wife says, you know, go stay at a hotel, get away from the house. <laughs> You're not pleasant to be around. And so they know that when it's time for me to focus on something else, that's what I do. But I work really hard to make it up when the other times. And same way with my employees. My employees know I very rarely shut my door, but when my door's shut, there's a reason and I'm working on something that I really can't be bothered about. I will say that it can be tough. But I think that if you care about the people around you and not yourself, then you can work through all that. And I do care very much and I'm very appreciative. I'm very grateful for the people that I have around me. What about getting the family on board and getting some of the kids on board? How did that happen? I always thought my daughter would be a doctor. She was such a caring person. And then she decided to be a teacher, which didn't surprise me because I thought she would be a great, awesome teacher. And then she wrote, I remember my wife said, hey, did you read her application or the letter that she sent to law school to get in? I said, no. She goes, well, you got to read it. And, and in that letter, it said, I want to do what my dad does. I want to be appreciated. People hug him and with tears in their eyes when the juries come back. And I want to make that difference in people's lives. So I didn't know it. I, I could have cared less what she did. And then my son, he graduated from top business school, went and got an MBA, going to go to law school. I thought for sure he'd go into the business world. But he came and said, you know, I really would like to do what you're doing. You're making a difference in people's lives. And I would like to, to do that. And he's now a partner in my law firm. My wife runs my firm, but she's now reducing her hours because we have three grandkids. And so she babysits my two of my grandsons on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And she's just loving it. It is a family affair, but we've got like 50 employees, over 50 employees, I think nine or 10 lawyers. My youngest son is a, a videographer. And so he does a lot of my office videos. He does my settlement videos. So to be able to work with my kids and my wife is just a great experience. Man, when you look back, I mean, I'm just curious, are you proud of just everything from, from kind of where you came from, those early beginnings to not just the family you have today, the team you have today, to the impact you're making? I think the thing I'm the most proud of is that I raised three really good people. The kids, I mean, and it's not because of me, it's my wife, but we raised three really good people. And, you know, if that's all I could accomplish in this world, that would be worth it because they're good human beings. They're married to great human beings. They're really good people. And I think that's the thing I'm the most proud of. I think that as far as my own accomplishments, it's kind of weird because I'm never where I want to be. And so I can't say that I'm really proud of where I'm at because I'm not where I want to be. And so I don't think that ever ends. I remember, I think you were kind enough to send a bottle of champagne when I wrote the book, because after I got the book written and published, and I just saw it was still in the refrigerator this past weekend because I'd never celebrated that. And you know that as well as anybody. It's, you're never satisfied. You just keep moving. But I can say that if tomorrow was the day that the semi hit me, and I wasn't around the next day, that the thing that I would be proud of is my family. 
Yeah, it's a, it's like being grateful but never complacent. If you can have that type of mix, that's actually, that could be a very good thing. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about, and this is something where I imagine if someone's listening to this, they look up you, they look up the firm, and they see somebody who's got you know hundreds of millions of dollars with these semi-truck cases, and they think, man, that's amazing, but what does it take? And you're someone who's been so consistent for so many years, just day after day, week after week. If you could just speak to some of that. No, I think perseverance is, is a key quality you've got to have. I mean, you're going to have some ups and downs, and you've got to stick with it. Whether you're talking about winning a case, there's no perfect case. If there is, that perfect case never gets to go to trial. The cases that you go to trial on always have blemishes and always have issues. And so if you're a person who looks at things negatively or just quits when you see a roadblock, you're not going to be a successful truck rock lawyer. You're not going to be a successful business person. You're going to have ups and downs in your business. I see so many lawyers that come to me and say, well, my SEO is not ranking high enough, so I'm switching companies. Or my mentors or my group of people I'm around is not working or whatever. My partners aren't working. I, I, I kick my partners out. I need a better partner. I mean, everybody's looking for a quick solution. And sometimes those things are necessary. But the reality is all too often people don't try for the, and they don't look at things for the long haul. You've got to invest in, and you've got to develop relationships. I'm very proud of my relationship that I have with Crisp. I'm very proud of the relationship I have with my employees. Those are all built over time. And I think you have to learn to trust other people, and then you have to invest in them, and then you've got to let those people do their jobs, whether it's your employees, your, your attorneys, or your vendors, or people you do business with. There's something in the water. There's something obviously you're doing right at Craig Kelly and Faultless because if I recall, there's a team member that you had fired who then asked to apply again, but for a different role. Yeah, we, we have. I mean, I've been so blessed. I've got three or four people here who left me and then came back. And they're key players in my firm. Uh, first of all, there's a lot of lawyers who would, their egos would never allow that. And to me, I just care about them as a human beings. If they want to go work somewhere else, that's fine for them. If they want to come back, that's fine. And but then I had an employee who actually I had to fire because she just she was nice, but she just couldn't do the job, and she reapplied for a different job. And that's not the first time that's happened. You know, I care very much about everybody here. I want them to succeed. And some of the people that are in this in my office are doing different jobs than they applied for because they're better at something else than what they thought. I take a lot of pride in is making a positive difference in people's lives. And that's what I do with my employees. You try to look at them, you try to help them, you try to figure out what's good for them. And maybe that's not being here. Maybe that's being in a different position here. But I think employees notice that. Employees get it. If you really care about them as a human, then they care about you as well. And even when they leave, I've got people who are judges. I always joke about how many lawyers come through my program and turn out to be corporate lawyers or real estate lawyers because they don't want to be trial lawyers because of the pressure and yet they refer all their business to me. So it's been great. Even the ones that don't work out here are doing great, and I love seeing how they progress. As we come to a close, you're certainly a game changer, but this being the Game Changing Attorney podcast, what does being a game changer mean to you? I think as a person who can completely changes the way we think. I hope to be a game changer in how what people think of as lawyers, what they perceive. When I started my practice, the personal injury lawyers were hard living, fun loving, womanizing people. And I thought, you know, that shouldn't be the way it is. We should have women in key positions, partners. We should have women as attorneys. We should have a family atmosphere. We should care about people. 
not be chasing the money, but making a difference in the lives of the people in the communities in which we practice as well as our clients. And I hope that I'm a game changer in that respect. I want to give a huge thank you to David Craig for taking the time to speak with us today. You know, what particularly resonated with me was when David said that perseverance is key. Whether you're seeking to become an expert in your practice area or scale your law firm, roadblocks and setbacks are inevitable. But those who maintain a commitment to their vision and push through obstacles will always come out ahead. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with me, Michael Mogul. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you can leave a review and share this podcast with at least one other ambitious law firm owner. And you know what? Maybe more than one. For more information on our interview with David Craig, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit GameChangingAttorney.com. And join us next time when we'll be speaking with high-profile trial attorney and senior partner at McGinn, Montoya, Love & Curry, Randy McGinn. I went to my bank my longtime bank, and I said, here's my, look, I've got this business plan, and here's my 30 cases I'm going to take with me, and here's when their money's going to come in, and I was applying for a $10,000 line of credit, which at the time, Michael, seemed like all the money in the world to me. It just seemed like so much money, and this older woman leans across the desk and pats me on the arm and says, honey, I think you better keep working for somebody else for a while, and I said, you know, I think I need a new bank is what I need. That's next time on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast.